Good morning and welcome to those of you joining us from Calvary Quakertown. It's great to have you with us this morning. As you've just been reminded, we're in a series that we're calling Top 10. And what we're doing in this series is we're looking at 10 really familiar verses or really familiar concepts and we're kind of exploring them a little more deeply because sometimes familiarity may not breed contempt, but it does breed a sense of confidence and maybe misunderstanding. So we're revisiting some of those really familiar passages, ideas, and trying to unpack them a little bit so we can understand them more fully and then hopefully live them out a little more faithfully. Well, this morning we come to a concept, just two words we're going to look at. And the words don't appear just one place like all the other verses we're looking at. These verses are kind of all over the New Testament. As you read through the Gospels, they seem to be on Jesus' lips all the time. And the two words are, follow me. All over the place. Jesus seemingly walks up to people and says, well, follow me. And he walks up to someone else and says, follow me. He calls people to follow that are educated and uneducated. People that are incredibly wealthy and people that are dirt poor. People that are really smart and people that are not that smart. People that are religious and irreligious. People that are moral and immoral. Jesus seemingly had one idea as he traveled around follow me. And he kept calling people to follow him. Now, you know, in the series, we're asking and answering three questions, and we're going to follow that this morning. We're going to look at, so what's going on? What's being said? You already know that part, follow me. And what does it mean? Well, the follow me is what's being said. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to share with you uh, a little package of times Jesus says that. Very different context, in different places to different people. Follow me, follow me, follow me. And maybe out of that we'll understand what the bigger idea is. And then we'll end by looking at five things that following Jesus actually mean. All right? Well, here's the first one. Jesus shows up to a group of fishermen in Matthew chapter 4. And he calls them while they're, and they're not fishing for a hobby. It's their job. Jesus shows up and says, hey, well, follow me. But there's a history to that. The history isn't found in Matthew's gospel. The history is found in John's gospel. And all the way at the beginning of John's gospel, chronologically, that's the first time we hear the follow me words from Jesus. So here's what's going on. John the Baptist is baptizing people. That's how he got his last name. He's baptizing people in the Jordan. And lots of people were following him. He was kind of a fiery preacher, nasty, in people's face, calling people names, lots of trash talking, and he kind of drew a big crowd. Well, they were following him. Well, one day Jesus shows up on the banks of the Jordan, and John stops everything. Be quiet, everybody, stop. Look, there's the Lamb of God who's going to take away the sin of the world. And there's something of a major transition right there in John 1. All of these people went out from the cities and towns and they were following John. But the transition in John 1 is, by the time you get to the end of the chapter, Jesus says, follow me. And some of John's first disciples become Jesus' disciples. That would be Andrew, and Andrew is Peter's brother. So that's kind of the backstory to Matthew 4. So sometime later after the John 1 incident of transition from John to Jesus, Jesus shows up at the dock, and Andrew and Peter are fishing, and Jesus says, hey guys, follow me. 
Leave my job? Leave my network of relationships? Leave the family business? Leave my sense of security? Leave my significance? And they don't even ask the normal questions. Like, okay, well, Jesus, well, how much PTO do we get? A 401k? What kind of a health plan you got? How much, what are the wages involved? None of that. Jesus just says, follow me. And amazingly, Peter and Andrew, and a little while later in the same chapter, James and John make Jesus their top priority and they follow him and become his disciples. That's amazing, isn't it? Follow me. There, that's one of the fir first times it's used and one of the key times. Here's another one. In Mark chapter 10, this passage is referred to as the rich young ruler. And this verse kind of stings a little bit. That's why I put it in here for you. And here's what it says. Jesus looked at him and he loved him. And then look what Jesus tells him to do. Oh, one thing you lack, he said. Sell everything you have. Give it to the poor. Then you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. There it is again. Now, we don't know the guy's name, but we do know three things about him. He's rich, he's young, he's a ruler. That's a pretty good resume, right? Um, that resume is what most Americans are living for. We can't get younger, we're trying to look younger. Uh, we want to get rich and we want to have influence and power over people. This guy had the whole package. He even uh, has enough sense to know and enough conviction and wisdom to know that even though he's rich and he's young and he's a ruler, he still lacks something. So he comes to Jesus and says, well, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And then Jesus says, well, sell all your stuff, give the proceeds to the poor, then you'll have treasure in heaven, come follow me. Notice what Jesus does not say. Jesus does not say, sell all your stuff, give it to the poor, then you have eternal life. That's not what he says. Jesus says, sell your possessions, give the proceeds to the poor, then you'll have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. What's going on? We learn something really important about following in this little discussion, this dialogue between Jesus and the rich young ruler. And that is, he can't follow Jesus as long as he's following his stuff. So Jesus says, you need to stop following so you can start following. If you kind of read that back into what happened in Matthew 4, kind of the same deal, right? As long as Peter, Andrew, James, and John, they're kind of following something else. Jesus isn't their priority as long as something else is the priority. Jesus says to this guy, I've got to be your number one priority. You're not following me if you're following something else ahead of me. Therefore, you're following your stuff. Stop following your stuff. Then you can follow me. Then you have eternal life. See how that works? Yeah, kind of frightening concepts, right? Here's another one. I think it's coming. Here we go. Luke 5. After this, Jesus went out and he saw a tax collector named Levi. Levi gets a name change. He becomes Matthew, who actually writes the first gospel in the New Testament. He's sitting in his tax collector booth, and Jesus says to Matthew, hey, follow me. You know, it's one thing to call them um, good little Jewish boys that are fishermen, you know, to come and follow the rabbi. That was kind of in the script. But to call a tax collector to follow? Tax collectors were working for the enemy. 
Tax collectors were helping the enemy get rich. And the richer that Rome got through tax collecting, the more they imposed on, on, the, on the Jews and on Israel, making their lives more and more miserable. That means nobody ever invited Matthew to do anything he wanted to do. Matthew was never invited to synagogue. Matthew was never invited to birthday parties. Matthew was never invited to bar mitzvah. Matthew never invited any of that stuff. Jesus walks up and invites him to be his disciple. And Matthew got a great idea. Why don't you come follow me and you can be my disciple? Here's what I always wonder. I wonder what the other disciples were thinking. What? Jesus, don't you see what he's doing? What? We don't want Matthew in the group, right? Um, you're going to pollute the group. I know we may not be perfect, but Matthew's far from perfect. We don't want him in the group. See how it works? Matthew gets invited, just like Peter, Andrew, James, and John, just like the rich young ruler. They're all invited to follow. People across the economic continuum, across the sociological continuum, across the educational, religious, and morality continuums, Jesus is inviting them all. Oh, it gets worse. Look, look at this verse. Then Jesus said to his disciples, and now he's got all these people following, right? So now he's going to kind of up the ante a little bit. The following, and here's what he says. Oh, by the way, whoever wants to be my disciple, now they're already disciples, right? That, the student, follower. Whoever wants to be my disciple, they must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Now, just a little bit of a history here. When Jesus said this, Crosses were not cool pieces of jewelry or little emblems you get tattooed on your body because you think it's cool looking. Crosses didn't stand for love. Crosses didn't have a traditional sentimental thing. It would be like wearing a noose around your neck. It'd be like getting an electric chair tattooed on your arm, right? Crosses were means of death. And Jesus says to his disciples, oh, guys, by the way, I, I didn't fill you in on all the details. Here's one of the details. If you want to keep following, you got to take up your cross and follow me. The only guys that were carrying crosses were the guys who were headed to die. You carried a cross because you were going to be hung on the cross. And I'm amazed that none of them threw in the towel and walked away, as best we can tell. Same principle, though, right? I've got to be your top priority. You can't be following other things if you're following me. I've got to be number one, ahead of family, ahead of vocation, ahead of occupation, ahead of pleasure, ahead of significance, ahead of security. You've got to follow me. And then we got one last one that I really like from John chapter 21. Jesus says to Peter again, follow me. Now he called Peter to follow him all the way back at the beginning in Matthew chapter 4, right? And here we are at the end of John's gospel, John 21, and Jesus again says, hey, Peter, follow me. Why in the world does Jesus have to say it again? Well, because Peter has a major screw-up between Matthew 4 and John 21. Peter is coming off the biggest mistake and most heart-wrenching failure of his entire life. Peter denied not only that he was a follower of Jesus, he denied that he even knew Jesus, called down curses on himself, yeah, Peter coming off a major failure. My guess is Peter's thinking, well, I might as well go back to fishing because I'm not worthy to be a follower anymore. I've tried that and I failed big time. Jesus is never going to have me as a disciple now. And yet Jesus appears at the end of John's gospel, the last chapter in all of the gospels. Jesus appears and says to Peter, hey, Peter, do you still love me? Jesus, I love you. Come 
follow me. My invitation, my call is still good. I don't know about you, but, but I need that John 21, follow me, because I fail and screw up kind of regularly too, and it's good to know that Jesus' call continues even if, even if our faithful following doesn't continue. So there we've got different context, same call, same command, follow me. It's something about priority. It's something about uh, being number one. It's something about everything else being put behind it. It's something about Jesus being at the top of the list and everything else being under him. That's kind of what following means. As I thought about that uh, these past couple of weeks, I was reminded, though, that that's not just a New Testament concept. You know, we often think, follow me, that that's a new, and it is. Jesus says it, and it's not nearly as clearly presented in those words in the Old Testament. But the concept is certainly there. Let's go all the way back to Exodus chapter 3. And uh, let me read to you a couple of verses to show you the concept is old, even though Jesus is new. In Exodus chapter 3, we have the burning bush incident. God is speaking to Moses, and here's what he says. I have seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because they are slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Then you have all these ites that are there, Canaanites and Hittites and Amorites and Perizzites and Hivites and Jebusites and all the people. But God's going to deliver. Now, when Moses hears those words, I'm guessing, he's out in the desert, sees the burning bush, calls, you know, gets his attention, goes over. God speaks him from the bush and he says, Moses got a plan. I'm going to lead my people, here's what it says, up and out and into. That seems pretty easy, right? Out and in. I'm going to lead them out of Egypt into the promised land. Up and out. Into. Pretty easy. Does it turn out being easy? No, that little up and out and into becomes a big ordeal. And like all of the book of Exodus and Numbers, it's all about the ordeal of getting up and out and then into. It takes a really long time. What do the Israelites have to do as they're journeying up and out and into? They've got to follow. They've got to literally follow because God is leading them in a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. It's a cloud during the day so you can see it, kind of like our weather these days, a pillar though, and a fire at night so they can see it. God is leading and they've got to follow. Don't you wish God would give a map? You know, kind of say, look, here's where you are. And I'm going to lead you up and out and then into, and he draws the route in between. But here's how it works with God. God says, oh, here's the situation you're in, and we know that really well. And here is where I'm leading you. I'm leading you to the land of milk and honey. I'm leading you to the new heavens and the new earth. I'm leading you into all of my original intention. But God is not real specific when he talks about all the stuff in between. Don't you hate that? I mean, on a map, you get to see all the twists and turns and all the in-between junk. But God doesn't give us a map. He paints a picture of the destination. You're well acquainted with the present reality. And then he says, oh, just follow me and we'll get there. Following's hard, isn't it? I mean, do you ever try to follow somebody in the car and, and they say something like this? It's way too complicated. I can't explain it to you. You'll never get it. Just follow me. 
but they make the green light and you get caught at the red light and they don't wait for you. They forget to use a blinker or a turn signal. And so they turn and you're careening on two wheels trying to make it around the turn. They go the speed limit. Like, what's up with that? They go to, and so you're tired of going to speed. You pass them. How are you following if you're in front of them, right? Or maybe they're going too fast and you can't keep up. Following is like a major hassle. Especially if you don't know where the next turn is. Especially if you don't know where you're, you know the ultimate destination, but you have no idea of the route to get there. Can you imagine? God is leading them from Egypt to Palestine. Egypt to the promised land. They're all excited. They're celebrating. I mean, the celebration's at a fever pitch, right? God delivers them. The curses are behind them. And God's going to lead them. And the cloud starts to move. And they're all excited. They're celebrating and leaving. All their possessions are packed on their animals. They're carrying it. Those kids are weighed down. They're leaving. And they're celebrating. What do you think happens when the cloud turns the wrong way? Because it does, by the way, right? The easiest route from, Israel, or from Egypt to Israel is the Via Maris, the road right along the Mediterranean. But as they start on that road, the cloud turns south toward the desert. I don't know about you, but I'm guessing there were some Israelites tempted to say, huh, a directionally challenged cloud here. Not, maybe a female, oh, sorry. <laughs> And, and, and not exactly sure which way to go. Oh, I know. I know the way to the promised land. God, will meet you there. We'll meet you there. Are they going to follow or not when following doesn't make sense? Are they going to follow or not when they know how to get to the destination, but God seemingly is leading in the wrong direction? Are they going to follow then? Oh, and then... Sometimes the cloud stops, sometimes the cloud starts, and so they're walking, and eventually the cloud stops, and it's, oh, thank, thank God, thank you, cloud, we're just taking a break here. And so they unload all the stuff, pots and pans, heavy tents, recliners, big screen TV, set up camp. They no sooner sit down, before they're having their first cool beverage, the cloud moves again. What? They got to pack up, they didn't even have dinner yet, then they got to pack up and move on again. So when the cloud stops next time, this one father says, He's not going to trick me a second time. I'm not unpacking anything. Yeah, but they happened to camp there for six weeks that time. And, but the tent's packed. All the umbrellas are packed. He's getting scorched. He's getting all kind of skin diseases because he's in the sun. The day he decides to unpack is the day the cloud moves again. Very frustrating being led by someone, isn't it? Well, what are some lessons that we need to learn and can learn about following? Well, let's uh, kind of tease them out. I think I have five of them. Here's one. Following requires and develops patience. Now, come on, be honest. How many of you would like to be more patient? Raise your hand. Come on. Good. You really want to be more patient now, right? You don't want to have to wait for this patient thing. Isn't that funny? But the only way to gain patience is by waiting, even when you don't want to wait anymore. That's how you get patient. Now, there are some uh, new parents rookie parents, foolish parents, who are taking the family on a ride. And they've been driving in the car for a little while, and eventually the inevitable annoying question comes from somewhere in the back seat that sounds like this. Are we almost there yet? Now the stupid, foolish, rookie, novice parent tries to build motivation in the kids. 
they say things like this. Oh, we're almost there, honey. Just enjoy the ride. Look out and see the pretty trees. Count the cars that we're passing, or if mom's driving, the cars that are passing us. Um, you, know, you know, count, enjoy, we're almost there. Look, I think I see it up ahead. That's a foolish parent, right? Here's what veteran parents say. Does it look like we're almost there? I'll let you know. In fact, we may never get there. We may drive in this car forever, driving each other crazy. That's what we may do. That's what a veteran parent says, right? But the bottom line is, we all wrestle with destination impatience. We want to get there. And God has told us the destination. God has said to the Israelites, you're going to the promised land. There's milk and honey. God has said to all of us in Jesus, follow me to the new heavens and the new earth where the principles and values of the kingdom will be lived out forever and ever. And we suffer with destination and pain. We want to get there like now. But the journey must be important because God doesn't immediately transport us there. He could do that. He's God, right? I mean, he could do the Star Trek thing and just put us there today. So there must be something really important about the journey because God says, we'll get there in a little while. I'm not giving you a map. You just follow me and we'll journey together. And we don't know the turns and we don't know the situation and we don't know the hassles and we don't know the suffering along the way. We just have to follow even when it doesn't make sense. But as we follow and wait, we're learning patience. Well, here's something else that's required and developed, and that's faith. You only follow if you have faith. It took a whole lot of faith for those Israelites to not walk on the Via Maris, but to follow the cloud south into the desert. You ever think about that? They knew where Palestine was. They knew that was the destination God told them. And yet the cloud goes the wrong way. It took faith to follow. Don't you think it took faith for Peter and Andrew to leave the family business, the security of an income with boats, and the security of an occupation and a network of friends? Don't you think it took faith for somebody like Matthew, who was making a great living working for the Romans, to now throw in the towel on his career and follow a Jewish rabbi after he had scorned Judaism most of his life to become a tax collector. Don't you think it took faith after Peter's failure to say, yeah, I do believe he'll take me back. I do believe I can still follow even though I screwed up in the process. You see, it takes faith to do that. And it's going to take faith for us too, especially when following doesn't make sense. Especially when we seemingly know the way the road should go, which turn we should make, how quickly we should go, how slow we should go. And all of a sudden, God's not leading how we think it, we should be led. It takes faith to follow. But here's the thing. As you trust, your faith grows. As you have faith, just like a muscle, you exercise that and it develops and becomes stronger. That doesn't mean the next turn is going to be easier. It doesn't mean the next time you're told to wait, it's going to be a cinch. But it does mean it takes faith and it develops faith to follow, especially when it doesn't make any sense. Here's the third one. 
Faith develops strength, wisdom, and health. How many, how, many, how many of you have ever gotten really, really strong not following the advice of the trainer or the exercise guy? How many of you have ever gotten really, really smart by not following the instructions of your teachers or trainers? Oh. How many of you have gotten really healthy by disobeying and not following the instructions of your physician? Huh, funny how that works. Yeah, strength and wisdom and health come as we follow the instruction of the experts. And what, God, what is God doing? He wants us to be strong. He wants us to be wise. He wants us to be healthy. And after all, he's God. He knows how we develop wisdom and strength and health, and he's leading us to do it. Now, here's something that sometimes we fail to remember. God is much more interested in what we're going to be like when we reach the destination than he is about being at the destination. God is less concerned that we make the destination in great time than he is concerned that when we get there, we'll be the kind of people we need to be at the destination. And he knows how to build those qualities into us. He knows how to make us healthy, but we've got to follow to become healthy. He knows how to make us wise, but we've got to follow the instruction in order to become wise. He knows how we're going to be strong, but you have to follow the advice of the trainer as he's making us strong. See, we've got to follow in order to become strong, in order to become wise, in order to become healthy. You will never reach those character qualities by not following the advice and the leading of Jesus. You see, the journey isn't superfluous. The journey is integral to what God's doing in us and what he wants to do through us. Here's another one. Following exposes and purifies our motives. Now, this one has to relate to that God leads to some places that we don't want to go. They always kind of go together. You wouldn't have to follow if you could choose the destination. you got to follow God because he's going to lead you some places you don't want to go. How many of the Israelites do you think really wanted to spend 40 years in the desert? That would be a good destination. None of them. None of them. Where does God lead them? To the desert. Why does God lead them to a place they don't want to go so he can make them into the people that they need to be? And a lot of that has to do with motives and desires and priorities and all that stuff. So here's the reality. I'd be willing to bet that most of you in this room trust Jesus and you trust a whole bunch of other stuff. Most of you in this room follow Jesus and you follow a whole bunch of other stuff. Most of you in this room love Jesus and you love a whole bunch of other stuff. Our hearts are an amalgam of trust. Our hearts are an amalgam of following. We follow Jesus, we, follow, we find our security in the gospel, we find our security in this. We find our significance here, we find it somewhere else. And I'm not saying all those things are bad, I'm just saying it's only when the heat is on that those motives become separate. Isn't that how we refine metal? So when you find gold, it doesn't come out of the ground purified in bars, it comes out mingled with a whole bunch of mess, right? 
And so what do you do? You throw it into a pot that doesn't melt. You put it into it, and you turn the heat on. And under the great heat of the furnace, the gold melts. And when it's melted, you can skim off the junk, and now you've got pure gold. Well, our hearts are kind of like that, right? So what God wants to do is to purify us, but the only way to do it is to turn the heat up. And so he leads us to places we don't want to go, kind of like the desert. He leads us into experiences that we really would not choose. But in those experiences, as he's turning up the heat, our trusts, our loves, the things we're having faith in and living for, they are separated then, right? And you realize the foolishness, in only moments like that, you realize the foolishness of following things other than God. You see, you can't separate good trust and bad trust while, you're, while everything's great lying on the beach on vacation. That's not how you do it. It's when you're going through deep water and difficulty that all of a sudden you realize what's really important. You realize what really can hold you when nothing else will. And those things that often call us to trust and call us to follow fall away and burn up in the midst of the places we don't want to go. And so it's in the desert, it's in the hard times, it's in the places we would not choose to go that God allows us to experience purity in our motives. Another way to say the same thing, only in the places you would not choose to go will you be able to discover why you're following God. Let me uh, tell you a story. A number of years ago, uh, the girls were young, and we were on uh, Long Beach Island. I was speaking at Harvey Cedars, and they kind of rearranged the schedule. So after the evening service, we all run down to that big thing where the big arcade is. And uh, Megan, my youngest, said, Daddy, 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 um, I want to I work the machine with the crane. Because remember the kid climbed in one? <laughs> a little while he got stuck. Well, she didn't climb in. I, I want to play. I want to play. So we had a deal beforehand. Each of the girls were going to get $10. They could spend it however they wanted to spend it, you know, within reason. <laughs> they were going to, especially if they wanted to buy me something, that would have been good. They could spend their 10 bucks however they want. Megan takes her $10, goes up to one of the guys with those funky pouches on, and she gets $10 worth of quarters. She goes over to the crane thing and proceeds to feed $10 worth of quarters into the thing and never once got a toy. Maybe she's uncoordinated. Maybe the machine's rigged. I don't know. Here's how it started out. Daddy, Daddy, I love that machine. Look at a teddy bear and a daddy. I want this thing. I need that. I need it. Okay, fine. She cashed in her 10 bucks. Before she was done, she hated that darn machine. That machine stole my money. I can't. Funny how that works, right? How do you know if you're following God because of all the good toys he's given you? Or whether you're following because he loves you and you love him? And he calls you as your creator and your savior to follow him. How do you know if you're following for the toys you're getting out of him or following him because of who he is and what he's done for you? You only know that in the hard times. You only know that when you're following somewhere you don't want to go. And so God wants to purify and test us. I'm reading through uh, Job. I read Job every summer. don't know why. <laughs> I read. Um, and Job's kind of learning that, right? Job keeps saying, but I didn't do anything to deserve all this. And God doesn't answer him, right? What's, God is purifying. 
God is working on Job. Job didn't do things that the consequences are deserving, but Job is being purified. God's working in Job. And now we read Job and we learn from Job and we learn a whole lot of stuff about following in the midst of suffering and difficulty that we would never learn if Job just kept getting the toys and the the things out of the machine. And there's one last lesson. Following teaches and trains us for mission. Jesus followed the plan of his father. If he didn't, we'd be looking at an eternal nightmare of our own doing and our own choosing. But Jesus went on a journey and he followed the plan laid out so that you and I now have an awesome eternity in the new heavens and the new earth to look forward to. Jesus' mission can be described as up, down, up. Right? That's deep theological term. <laughs> he was up, the mission was down, kind of gets us while he's down, and goes down, down, down. If you read Philippians chapter 2, right? Down to become a human being, down to suffering, down to the cross. But because of all those down trips, he ultimately goes up, up, up to the highest heaven. But the big difference is we can now join him in the up forever. And the eternity that he purchased for us in the new heavens and the new earth is awesome. His journey is what brought it about for us. And as we follow him, we in some small way replicate the mission. A few weeks ago, we talked about salt, right, and light. What does salt do? Loses itself for the benefit of others. Jesus lost himself to bring out the best in us. As we lose ourselves to bring out the best in others, we're kind of in some small way recapitulating the mission of Jesus, including others in the community, serving them and loving them, not in a way that brings salvation to them, but in a way that points to the ultimate Redeemer that went on the ultimate journey and mission to include them forever. So this journey of following is very frustrating, but it'll help you develop patience, it'll develop your faith, it'll give you strength and wisdom and make you healthy, it'll purify your motives, and it'll train us to continue to live out the mission of Jesus as we continue what he started. Jesus told us the destination. It's an awesome destination. We're not there yet. It's coming. All because of what he did, not because of what we did. He followed the plan of the Father to include you and me in the mission that ends in eternity forever. What do you say we follow him? Because he really does know where he's going. And he wants us to be the people he wants us to be not just to reach the destination that he wants us at. Let's stand and pray. Father, even though it's difficult, we do say thanks for calling us to follow. We confess we're not real good at the following thing. Sometimes we think you're going too fast and we slow down. Sometimes we think you're going too slow and we go ahead of you. And sometimes we think you make a wrong turn and we just set out on our own. But Lord, looking back on history and even looking back on our own lives, we know that you're wise 
you're loving, you're gracious and merciful. Thanks for calling us to follow. And through the work of your Spirit in us, would you help us to, uh, to follow well? So we grow in patience and our faith is developed and our motives are purified and we continue to live out the mission in the context you put us in. Thanks for calling us to follow. Help us to follow well. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.